Welcome to Slim and Satisfied, a podcast about weight loss for women dealing with hormonal imbalances. I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and I invite you to join me weekly for conversations, practical strategies, and resources that will lead you on the right path to feeling satisfied with your body and your life. And now, let's get to today's episode. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode. This is episode 19, and I'm your host, Daphna Chazen. Today, I'm interviewing someone I met recently through Instagram. Her name is Kristen Birdie, and she's a holistic health coach. What we're going to be chatting about today is healing your relationship with food. Kristen has had her own journey of healing. As you'll hear, she's suffered through multiple eating disorders, and she's had a complicated relationship with food growing up. She was also diagnosed in her early 20s with PCOS, and since then, she's been really able to gain a lot of insight about her relationship with food and really get to the bottom of it before she could start healing. So now she teaches women how to do the same thing, how to uncover the root causes of their food challenges. She's going to share a lot of wisdom as well as motivational insights in today's conversation. So without any further ado, let's get to today's interview with Kristen Birdie. Hey, Kristen, thanks so much for being on the show today. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm good, good. So I'm so excited for today's episode because you and I already got to talk before. And I know that you have some great inspiration and a great story to share. And let's jump right into it. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. My name is Kristen Birdie, and I am a certified holistic health coach through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. And I also am a mindset coach for women. So what I specifically focus on are helping women balance their hormones naturally and conquer disordered eating habits. Because what I've noticed through a lot of research and through just talking with women is that there's a really strong correlation between disordered eating and hormonal imbalances, especially things like PCOS. So my own health journey starts back when I was about 14 years old. And that's when I got my first period. I don't think it was a super late bloomer or anything like that. I definitely got my period later than others, which could have been a red flag for PCOS, but just wasn't on the radar then. And after my first period, I started developing a restrictive eating disorder. So um, something called body dysmorphia and a little bit of anorexia, and I lost my period. And Mm -hmm. I, after getting back to a healthy weight, I still didn't get my period back. And I was actually training as a pre-professional dancer at the time. And so I knew so many women and so many girls at the time who were skinnier than me and were getting their periods every single month. And I was like, this is something, something's not right here. But I just didn't, my doctors didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. So I kind of just accepted the fact that I just wasn't getting my period. And by the time I was about 17 years old, I was like, all right, we really need to figure what what is going on here. So I started going through a bunch of um, blood tests and, you know, making sure that my estrogen was okay. My doctors thought it was, everything looked okay. And they actually made me start doing um, something called a progestin challenge. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, but I'll explain it. Um, Brief overview is that progesterone is a hormone that happens after you ovulate and it kind of primes the pump for menstruating. And when you have that spike in progesterone, 
it usually induces a period. So when you have this progesterone challenge, it actually simulates that, but kind of in like a fake way. So you have a withdrawal bleed if everything is a-okay. And if nothing happens, then you know that something's not right. And nothing happened with me when I took that, when I took those progesterone. So my, um, my doctor basically said, okay, you need to go on birth control pill because otherwise you're going to develop osteoporosis really early. So I, I, that was literally my only option that was given to me was birth control pill or osteoporosis. So of course I chose the birth control pill. Uh, and that's actually when I started developing some really severe digestive issues. And I didn't know it at the time that hormones literally like run everything. And it took me after going to many gastroenterologists, which is um, essentially just a GI doctor and OBGYNs to figure out actually that the birth control pill was what's causing my digestive distress because it was affecting my hormonal balance in my gut. And I, you know, every, after finding that out and researching it myself, I asked my gastroenterologist, he's like, oh yeah, that's, that could definitely have been the case. So I was like, why did I have to do all the research to maybe like figure out like my own health? So it is kind of annoying that you have to be very proactive about your own health. And, but you know, that's just the way it is today's healthcare system. So I was on birth control pill for about, I want to say eight years. And I started dating my now husband then at the time. And I knew that I wanted a family eventually sometime in the future, definitely not within like the next two years, but I've heard, you know, some really bad stories about how long it's taking people to get pregnant because they don't really get to the bottom of the hormonal issues until they're like ready to have a kid right then. So I was like, okay, let me be proactive. Let me um, go off birth control and actually finally get to the bottom of what was been, you know, what's been ailing me all these years. And that's when I got my uh, PCOS diagnosis. And at the time, I was exercising like super heavily, like six days a week. I had a lot of negative self-talk just from all my past years of disordered eating. So when I was a teenager, I had the restrictive eating. And then as I moved into college and I broke up with my first serious boyfriend, I actually started developing binge eating. And then after that, it was bulimia. And so I kind of have experienced almost every single um, eating disorder on the spectrum. So I just never really resolved those issues. And it wasn't until I got my PCOS diagnosis that I actually started to take a much more deeper look inside myself and my own mindset. Because part of what I realized or what I researched was that a lot of women with PCOS, like they're just going, 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 and they don't take the time to actually just slow down. And that's why self-care has become such this big movement because society is just like, you know, go, go, go. And I lived in New York at the time. So that was even more of a fast paced culture where, you know, you're just kind of thriving on the um, packed schedules, the fast pace of the society and the culture there. So when I actually kind of took a step back, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how negative I was talking to myself. Like I was shaming myself every single day. I was even though I was at a, what would people would want, a weight that people would want to be at, I was not happy with myself. Mm-hmm. I hated, I, like, I was afraid to look in the mirror every day, even though I did. But, you know, I just felt like I was, my clothes didn't fit the way I wanted to. It was always a battle between me and food. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. I really, like, healed that and I really got to the bottom of that and implemented some of the natural holistic changes um, for diet. In peace for PCOS, that I actually started to see my period come back. It did take me about 11 months um, after going off birth control to bring back my period naturally. But 
it, it did happen. And it took a lot of effort on my part and trial and error and just trying to figure out like what was holding me back from regulating my hormones. But I eventually did. And I actually tried acupuncture before approaching the kind of PCOS diet protocol, as some people call it. Um, and it didn't work for me because I wasn't addressing some of the, you know, the root issues like stabilizing blood sugar, which now most people accept as a universal thing that you need to do in order to heal PCOS or, you know, manage PCOS naturally. Right. So weight at the time of the diagnosis was relatively healthy, right? Normal. Yep. How was your eating? How would you characterize your eating habits and your diet at that time? I thought I was healthy, <laughs> but you know, like I feel like my healthy version then was eating salads every day for lunch and not really listening to my body and you know what it actually needed. I would have like Greek yogurt with granola for breakfast, but then I would have a cappuccino and have like a bag of those sugary mints because I was needing mm. that like kind of sustained energy that sugar and caffeine gave you. And even though I considered myself healthy, I was really reliant upon sugar. I was super reliant upon sugar. And because I had still some eating disordered behaviors and like I had, um, what people call exercise bulimia. So I would have something to eat and I would feel like I would need to work out to be able to make sure that I didn't gain weight. So it was still mm -hmm. very negative and I did not have a good relationship with food. I saw it as like unnecessary evil and something that I needed to, like I was afraid of food and it took me a while to get over that fear. Um, and so that's how, and yeah, for dinner, it would probably be healthy, but I also had so like ridiculous sugar cravings. I remember going out at like, maybe it was like 11 o'clock at night, went to the bodega around the corner, which was closed. And I walked almost a mile to go buy ice cream and Snickers because I had that strong of a craving. Some people say like, you know, cravings pass in 15 minutes. Not for me. <laughs> Definitely not for me. So after, you know, I got diagnosed with PCOS, that's when I started to be like, oh my God, sugar is everything that I, it's in everything that I'm eating. You know, the low fat yogurt I was having, sugar. Granola was having sugar. There was just so much sugar in my diet because it was, um, I needed that to like feel good. And I got that kind of feel good thing initially from the sugar, but then you have a letdown afterward. Yeah. And it sounds like you also were maybe a little anxious around it or worried about it because you would have this mechanism of just compensating for it yep. with something else. Exactly. Yep. I honestly say that PCOS was one of the best gifts I could possibly have been given in my life because it really forced me to take a hard look at what was going on and you know, what I was doing to my body. I was really not treating it well, even though I thought I was you know being healthy by having like a special K bar which has so much sugar in it now that I realize and like, you know, very processed. And since P getting diagnosed with PCOS, I have been able to heal my relationship with food and also just have a little bit more, um, you know, natural, like be able to appreciate all different types of produce and vegetables and fruits and stuff that are out there that I would have never explored if I didn't know about this holistic way of, you know, approaching life. Right. Yeah. And I think for a lot of women having hormonal imbalances, and I can speak from my own experience, it just makes sense. Once you get a diagnosis or once you know, then things start to fall into place and you really start to understand your body and then figure out what would work for you. Whereas, you know, something that's healthy for someone else may not be healthy for your body, for your situation. Yep. 
So you really have to look inward and kind of figure it out as you go along. But I think you're right. Having the diagnosis, like you said, it could be a good thing because now you know. Right. And now you can be more specific and more intentional with what kind of things you're changing. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And with PCOS, I think I was also really relieved because some of the symptoms that I personally have been afflicted with are hirsutism, which is, you know, that excess um, hair Mm -hmm. and a little bit of like mood disorder. I was, I used to get really bad blues and I don't necessarily know Mm -hmm. if that's related to PCOS or birth control or like the post birth control syndrome. But I, ever since then, and also energy, like it's just been totally changed. And I remember Googling all the different symptoms and, you know, different things would come up. And of course you can go down the rabbit hole with Google, but once you get the diagnosis, it's like such a light bulb. It's like, Oh my God. Okay. Like this makes so much sense. And it took me a while to accept the diagnosis, but once I did, it was like, okay, like, all right, we're going to be able to figure this out. And there is hope. That's, that's one of the biggest things is that there was a lot of gloom and doom um, when I was finding out, like when I was researching about PCOS, about how, you know, you could have heart disease, diabetes. And yes, those things are true if you don't take care of it, but there is a way to like prevent that from happening. And it's very manageable to be able to make that not happen. Yes, I think that's such an important point because there is a lot of negativity around PCOS and I see this online and social media and pretty much everywhere where people talk about specifically about PCOS and and symptoms and things like that. But on the flip side of that, there is so much someone can do to manage and, and improve those symptoms. And it's all things that are mostly life to, lifestyle related, right? Yeah. So, And those are the things that we have the most power to change because we have to eat, we have to, you know, sleep, we have to do certain things. Why not do them well? Right, exactly. And that's why I personally love that like the self-care movement has taken such like a big trendy thing. Although I do have to say like some of the self-care stuff I don't necessarily, self-care is so personalized as with diet. Like you don't need to be taking a bubble bath with, you know, Right. A thousand different flowers to be able yeah. to have self-care. Like my self-care is like going out for a walk outside. I live in Colorado. So going out for a hike or a walk outside is like my, the best form of self-care for me or like curling up on the couch and reading a book by myself. Like that's like my, that's, that's my self-care. And of course I like, I'll throw in a bath if I'm feeling like it, but sure. you don't need to force yourself to do some sort of self-care if it doesn't feel right for you. You got to like figure out what works well for you and what doesn't. Because, you know, as you said before, like with diet, like one person's, you know, dream food is another person's poison. And you just have to figure out what works best for your body and for your own personality and for, you know, your own self. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you do first? Well, after you got the diagnosis, what kind of things did you start working on first? Um, The first, well, the first things first is that I pretty much bought every single book about bringing your period back and PCOS. Um, and I started because I have been so food focused in my past, just based on, you know, disordered eating habits and that sort of thing. I really approached the diet first and I was really, really surprised at how much the lifestyle stuff and like the more, um, mental health stuff that came up, like, gratitude journaling, which that for me was a total game changer. That's how I am positive affirmations. Those are the two things that I, in terms of the mental health that I started implementing at first after 
um, looking at some of the diet stuff. Um, but in terms of diet, I really started to cut out dairy and gluten because mm -hmm. it, um, I noticed that I was having, I mean, I was still having a little bit of digestive issues, even though I went off birth control, my digestion was not what it had been before going on birth control. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to see, you know, do a little experiment to see if cutting out these foods would actually be good for me. And they ended up turning my digestion around like completely. Like I was not ever constipated or anything like that after cutting that out. And I was like, okay, that's definitely, um, it's, it's definitely a challenge cutting that out, especially when you date someone who's Italian, where most of the stuff <laughs> is like, you know, like a pasta and cheese, but we found like a compromise. Um, you know, I get my kind of food and he gets his, and it's still a good meal that we have together. But yeah, so dairy and gluten. And then also I started incorporating more greens and cutting out sugar. Sugar was mm -hmm. probably the hardest thing for me because I had been so reliant upon it. And I did not cut cold turkey. Um, I, I, yeah, I was, just, I was just about to yeah. ask because that's always the, the toss up. Like, do you just go off it mm -hmm. or do you do it gradually? What, how did you do it? I personally, because I was so reliant upon it, I think my body would have gone into shock if I like <laughs> completely removed it. I started going to more like unrefined sugar. So using, I made my own sweets. So I would make my own cookies, my own brownies, my own cupcakes. And it would be more um, with like coconut sugar or maple syrup and a higher quality ingredients. Exactly. And the jewel dates are like the best thing ever. And they're, I mean, they're high in sugar or like natural sugar, but they're so sweet and they satisfy that sweet tooth for me. So I kind of started using that um, first and then slowly but surely my body didn't really need as much because I was really focusing on incorporating some more, you know, good healthy fats like avocado and nut butters. And so I wasn't feeling as necessary to be able to have as much sugar as I did in the past. So yeah, so that's kind of how I made that transition. And obviously, you know, it's going to be different for everyone, but that's just how my own circumstance. And it took me close to like seven months to really, really fully not be leaning on even the un unrefined sugars. And did you find that like your desire for sugar or just the appeal of sugary things reduced over time? Yeah. So I, so for me, I have a sugar craving because of an emotional need, not because of a physical need now. So towards mm -hmm. the end there, it wasn't a physical need. It was more emotional. And so I started kind of digging deeper into that. So now, yes, absolutely. I don't have Actually, some of the stuff that I used to enjoy is like really too sugary for me now. Like it doesn't even taste good. And I, I love, I, I've always been a baker. Like um, since I was younger, I always loved to bake. So I now make my own, um, you know, sweet treats to be able to have it, you know, more high higher quality ingredients using things like almond flour, flax seeds, even um, like dark chocolate chips for chocolate chip cookies there are ways to be able to make it like better, but yeah, I can't have like full sugary stuff and I don't crave it as much anymore. And what about like amounts or just resisting eating a lot of something? How did you manage that? Mm, that took me a while um, because I was in a restrictive mindset for mm. a while. Um, I actually fully allowed myself to eat as much as I wanted. Um, and, you know, it could have been, it could have been eating a little too much, but I knew that I needed to kind of heal that way. Mm -hmm. But I also, for me, since I approached every single meal with fear, 
<laughs> even if it was subconscious fear that, you know, fear of the food, fear of gaining weight, fear of eating too much. It took me a while to like, kind of, I would take a deep breath and then before my meal and just say like, thank you for this food. And then actually eat and really pay attention and really pay like close attention to how my body was feeling. So now I don't really have any rules around how much I eat or when I eat. It's more about, okay, what is like my body really craving right now? And when I'm feeling out of balance, I lean on like vegetables, like, you know, even sauteed kale or shard or eggplant. Broccoli is like one cooked broccoli is one of my favorites um, with like garlic and that sort of stuff. So I now know my body through trial and error, like what it needs when it feels a certain way. So I don't really, I don't believe in putting rules because obviously, I mean, I think you and I talked about this is like, you can't live a life in a diet for your, you know, like there has to be some give and take. And if you really do like cut out like dairy for life, unless you have an allergy, I don't think that that's necessary. You know, keeping it most of the time dairy free is going to keep your hormones balanced. Of course, like if you're in the thick of things or you just got diagnosed with PCOS and your hormones are like so scattered that they really need like a heavy detox to be able, or, you know, a heavy reset to be able to balance themselves naturally. I am totally for that. Like I went dairy free for about six months, not indulging once in dairy, because I just knew that my body needed that chance to kind of get back to normal. Um, but after that, you know, like when I went to Italy, I had gelato. Sometimes I just get a craving for ice cream. So I go to, you know, a, a local ice cream shop, which is a homemade creamery. So, you know, it's really, it's make, being more choiceful with what you eat and the quality of ingredients that you're having. It doesn't necessarily need to, need to mean that it'll be organic, but you know, it's, it's just being more choiceful with it. And it sounds like the, the check-in with your body that pause really makes a difference. Yes. Like someone just takes the time to really think about it, feel like sit with your body and think about it right before you eat. Because I think so much of what people struggle with is impulsive. It's decisions around food that are made on an impulse. Yep. Yeah. So just kind of, I think the pause can make a huge difference. I completely agree. And one of the things that helped me with that was actually meditation because um, I personally love the Calm app and the 21 Days of Calm is all about non-reactivity. And I realized with my food, like when you're hungry, how many times do you go and like, just like, or when you think you're hungry, like going, you get food without kind of even thinking like, or even like asking like, oh, am I really hungry or not? And meditation for me kind of, it took me you know, a few weeks because it takes a while to kind of change your brain structure when you meditate, but it actually changes the way you think. And that way you're actually not reactive you know, when you have that hunger cue, you're like, okay, am I really hungry? Like how much or how hungry am I? Because there's different stages of hunger. You know, are you like ready to have a whole meal? Or do you just want a little snack? There's totally different, you know, varying degrees of hunger, and everything is okay, within those ranges. It's just getting to know your body and like taking like you said, taking that pause, and being grateful, because that's also something that I saw helped me transform how much I should eat and how helped me actually tune in better was being like, thank you for this food. I know it sounds like a little bit of woo-woo, but that's what really helped me get in touch with like what I actually needed at that moment. So was that something you developed through the the journal, the gratitude journal? Yep, exactly. And how does that work? So what, what did that look like? Uh, gratitude journaling, I do it first thing in the morning. Um, and it's I actually got introduced to it from a friend. And I it's so interesting how you can go about gratitude journaling. You could go about it in so many different ways, but the way I approached it is that I 
did three things every morning that I was grateful for. And one had to be about myself because, you know, I was struggling with this shame about myself and, you know, just like really attacking my, my own personality and my own, you know, physical appearance. So I put one thing I was grateful for about my own self and then two other things that were very specific. So, um, something like, you know, I'm grateful that the subway wasn't delayed today and that I was able to get to work on time, or, um, I'm grateful for, having the means to be able to buy produce in a farmer's market. Mm -hmm. So very specific and very tangible. And I did not repeat them day after day. They were all, they were new. So I didn't want to repeat something two days in a row because then it kind of like stops your creative thinking and your, it kind of limits you in what you think of in terms of gratitude journaling. Now I do 10 things I'm grateful for, but I just started out with three because it was very new to me and like, you know, easing into it. It's easier to think of three, even though it can be hard. There were definitely days where I was like struggling with the third one, but now I do 10 and that's what, yeah, but that's what I do every morning. Yeah. It's so interesting. I spoke on the podcast before about uh, brain neuroplasticity. And this reminds me of that. Like when you start doing something and you start small and you build upon it, it becomes easier because those types of thoughts and patterns of thinking become more ingrained, like in the anatomy of your brain. Yep. Yep. So exactly. it really becomes, like you said, you started off with three and you struggled to find three on some days, but then now 10 seems like a no brainer. Yep. So I think that's something that takes time, but if you stick with it, it does work. It does actually change how your brain works and how you know easy it is to come up with a certain thought or a certain idea. Yes, exactly. And after doing the gratitude journaling and some like positive affirmations, um, I actually like it was about three months later. I didn't. There was just like a light bulb moment that happened, and gratitude journaling. I like started doing like five, even though I said I would only do three. And I kind of like thought to myself, I was like, "Wow, I haven't shamed myself in like a while." It kind of was like a light bulb moment that my even my internal dialogue was turning positive just by doing these simple things every morning. And they only took like fifteen minutes, but doing something for fifteen minutes every day, like totally shifted my mindset and totally shifted even just like the way I was speaking to myself which is so like beyond amazing to me. It's like so amazing what the brain can do. It's incredible. It really is. So for someone who's just starting and maybe they're trying to do this and they're, they're doing it most days and they're getting the hang of it, as you went along through your day, if you had a negative thought or if you had some self-criticism, how did you deal with that? First, I tried to make myself aware of it because at first it can be a little hard to like, you know, make sure that you're aware of the negative um, you know, internal dialogue, but then I would kind of take a pause and I'd be like, okay, is this really the case or am I exaggerating or where is this? And I would ask myself questions like, where is this stemming from? Do I really feel like this? Is this because someone said, you know, that I was bad or attacked me or something like that? Was it an external thing or is it because it's old habits that are just trying to creep up? And one of the things I also always remind myself is that these are just thoughts and this is not my reality. Um, and a lot, they teach that a lot in meditation is that a thought is just a thought, whether you accept it or not is what's going to make it your reality or not. And I chose, you know, I reminded myself, okay, this is a thought and I'm choosing not to accept this as my reality. So when I, you know, I would walk in the, see a mirror, I'd be like, oh, I'm fat. I'd be like, no, Kristen, this is just a thought. This is not a reality. Um, 
or, you know, like I can't do it or like, I'm always going to stay this way. I would always tell myself like, this is not my reality. I'm choosing not to accept this. And that's what really helped me kind of transform that negative thinking in other areas or when I wasn't as, you know, positive or falling back into old habits that that's what helped me transform. You mentioned your husband before. What kind of role do you think that plays? Because I think for a lot of women, it's kind of split. I think many women have great support at home. And, you know, if you're married or engaged or even just from close family and friends, but then some women really struggle in their most personal space. Mm, Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky enough that my husband was very supportive, although I didn't, it took me a while to kind of open up about all the depths of my wounds. Um, so for example, I was bullied in, um, grammar school growing up and, a lot of that actually was what triggered my eating disorder when I was a teenager. So it took me a while to open up to him about that. He was always very supportive though, even though he didn't understand it. Um, and he would just be like, you know, you are beautiful the way you are. You don't need to lose like any weight. You were, you know, he just was very loving. And I just kind of explained to him, like, this is what I'm going through right now. And this is the process. And this is what I'm the steps I'm taking to get to a better place. So that way I'm happier and I'm healthier around you. And, you know, when you make it about the both of you and about your relationship, it does allow the other person to be more supportive rather than kind of like attacking them. Like, Oh, why do you always say that? I, I look like this or, you know, it's makes it more about the journey together. Yes. That's so true. It's all about how you communicate, right? The style or how you phrase things or how you position things can make a huge difference. Yes, for sure. And um, we actually just got married in June and we had to go through, we got married in um, the church and we had to go through this kind of um, little course beforehand. And they talked about I statements. So that's how actually we communicate now. Like I felt this way when this was happening. So you kind of, instead of putting it on you, like saying you did this, it makes them defensive. So just communicating from that I and like how you feel is going to make a very big difference in the way that they receive that kind of communication than if you kind of go in it attacking them. Yes. And congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about the gratitude journal. We talked a little bit about self-talk. What kind of other things do you see right now working well for women for just emotional eating or for healing that relationship with food? One thing that I personally love, and I actually kind of go back to it from time to time when I know I'm a little bit stressed, is called morning pages. And it's essentially um, when you first wake up, there's a part like you, you have this part of your brain, I think it's called a theta brain, um, where there's not all this kind of judgment and blocks that you're putting on yourself and you get to like kind of just pour out whatever is on your mind. And mm-hmm. so that's what I did for a, a long time, actually. And I did... Some people do five pages. I did three of whatever was on my mind. And I wouldn't let anyone see that. So if I was mad at my now husband, I would write about it. I would write about, you know, if I was feeling anxious, if I was feeling like, sometimes I just woke up and I felt like disgusting. And like, I was just like, felt like weighed down um, and just like, didn't feel good about myself. So I would write that. I would write everything. And I would, sometimes it would be even more than three pages. Other days, you know, it was just, just three pages. But that's what really helped me because emotional eating at the end of the day is just us avoiding and pushing down emotions. So when you're in the morning and you don't even have your guard up, you're able to kind of just let those emotions loose and you don't have to be fighting them for the rest of the day. Mm. 
And so that's what I found personally has been helping me a lot. And also catching yourself, like knowing your triggers. So for me, when I know I have like a chocolate craving, more likely than not, it's because of an emotional reason. I, that's what at least what I found for me. So things like stress um, and also not accepting how I feel about my own physical body because sometimes I I personally push that away and then I emotionally eat because I don't want to feel the discomfort that I'm feeling right now. So those are the things that I personally have done to be able to help you know, with emotional eating. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times when women do... Um, struggle with emotional eating and they end up maybe giving into a craving or just kind of feeling like they maybe went off track. Mm. I think the recovery time is very crucial. Yes. Like how long does it take you to actually get back on track? How long does it actually take you to let go of that and move forward? Because I think that a lot of times we look backwards too much. We live in what we did wrong. We live in how we failed. We live in how you know, we spoke about ourselves in our own heads and things like that. And those are the things we rehash as opposed to thinking, well, how is this for me? How can I move forward? What can I gain from this that will actually make me better next time? Right. I completely agree with you. Every single, for me, my, my biggest weakness for especially like binge eating was actually like family parties and social parties. And I would make my, I would shame myself so hard after eating too much or feeling like, you know, it was the end of the world that I had like three pieces of cake. And one thing that you just have to, one thing that really, really worked well for me was positive affirmations during this point. And I would just tell myself, everything is temporary. So I think it is, like you said, it is crucial, the recovery time, especially right afterward, just say, okay, this, everything is temporary just because I overate or, you know, I emotionally ate at this one time doesn't mean a, that, you know, I'm worth less than anything or any time beforehand. Yeah. I think labeling is a problem. Just labeling yourself as an emotional eater or as a you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. And that the recovery time and like positive affirmations and just reminding yourself, everything is temporary because for me, when I had my emotionally, emotional eating bouts, it would be more about how this was my permanent state of life and how, you know, if I ate this or I overate, then it would make me like have that weight forever. And the thing is, that's not the case at all. Like your body is always trying to achieve balance. And, you know, it is normal in your life to have weight fluctuations. That's just it it is what it is. No one's going to look perfect all their life. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that goes back to just telling ourselves stories and making something mean something as opposed to taking it for the fact that it is. You know what I mean? Like to just add interpretation, add narrative onto something that is a fact. Yes. Which very emotionally charged. Right. Um, and after I, per- after I emotionally ate, at least in the past, um, one of my coping mechanisms was actually to do something that I felt good about. So whether that was like a walk outside, I, I love spin class. So, it, or, you know, going to like a spin class or something like I always made sure to do something I felt that made me feel good because that also stops the emotional eating kind of process. Because, you know, when you emotionally eat, you feel good immediately and then you feel like crap later. And then normally your gut reaction is to pick up food again to make yourself feel better again. But instead of like picking up food again, I would just make myself do whether that was, you know, reading a book, drawing anything, just like doing something that makes you feel good will eliminate that need to go back to food again. 
Yeah. I always tell people you have to change your state. Whatever it is that you're doing, you have to, if you're sitting on the couch or you're standing in front of the pantry or in your, you're in the break room at work and you're upset, change your state. Do something that's different. Don't just continue to stand there or sit there because then you're going to kind of marinate in those emotions mm-hmm. and you're not doing enough to break the paradigm. You're not doing enough to come out of that state of mind that's negative. Right. You always have to kind of almost kind of breathe new energy into your body by, like you're saying, just removing yourself and changing your state. Yep. I completely agree. Cause sometimes also like when I would emotionally eat, I would need to get out of the house personally, because when I was in the house, I didn't know if I could control myself to like, you know, not go for that food again. So that's why for me, I always had to get out. If it was for a walk, you know, a bike ride, something, I always needed to get out yoga, whatever. I just needed to get out to be able to break that cycle. So you feel strongly about journaling and you know, getting those emotions out and at the same time doing the gratitude journaling to kind of be on the more positive side. So it's a little bit of both, both ends, right? Because with the, what you do first thing in the morning, uh, remind me what it's called. Is it pages? Morning pages. Yeah. (laughs) So morning pages would be more of a, almost like a brain dump, if you will, right? You're putting everything that you're thinking, feeling everything that's going on as soon as you wake up on paper. So you have a blank slate for the rest of the day. Yep. And then on the flip side, you're actually actively looking for the positive with the gratitude journal. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And through my own morning pages, I was actually able to get to someone like the, that's how I actually realized I was bringing fear to every meal was through morning pages because I was just kind of doing a brain dump. I wasn't really concerned about how I was writing, what I was writing. And then kind of like a light bulb happened because I had my guard down and I was just like, oh my God, like. I've been afraid all this time. How did I not know? And sometimes it's just mm-hmm. like that, that big of a thing. It's like trying to flash you like flashing headlights, trying to grab your attention, but you're not present enough to be able to see those signs. And that's what morning pages helps you access. Mm-hmm. So is that where you would recommend someone get started? Yes, for sure. And if they don't feel like they can commit to three pages, um, do one, start with one. And maybe even gratitude journaling too. Three three things for gratitude journaling and write them down because that's actually much more powerful than just like saying it in your brain. Yeah. Like that will take you 15, 20 minutes to do both of those things. And it's on like you could do that even on the way to work. You could do it when you, you know, just try to make a make an effort to do that first thing in the morning. Okay. Good. I think that's very doable, which I like yeah. it. You know, that's what yeah. I I like things that are doable that are, you know doesn't cost any money, right? You can write it on any form of paper and very simple. I think anybody could do that. That's great. Yeah. Um, Tell my listeners a little bit about how they can work with you, what kind of services you offer, programs, where they can find you, all that good stuff. Yeah. So um, I'm actually hosting a, um, a workshop on hormone balancing and kind of also exploring the the connection between emotional eating and disordered eating and hormone balancing. And um, that's going to be happening on Facebook. So you can find my Facebook group, which is Holistic Women's Health and Mindset. And then you can also get me on my website, uh, dailysmilebykristin.com. And I offer one-to-one coaching services right now for any woman who wants to get their hormones balanced and kind of explore some of this mindset and get over some of the disordered eating or negative relationships with themselves and with food. 
So I do that on a one-to-one basis right now. And how I actually um, accept new clients is we do a little health consultation first, uh, about 30 minutes, and then we can see if it's a fit to move forward from there. Okay, great. And we're going to link to all of this in the show notes so people can uh, find the information and the links and everything will be in one place. Beautiful. All right. Any final thoughts you want to leave us off with? That nothing is insurmountable. You might think that it's like a huge mountain ahead of you right now and that there's really no end in sight. But if you keep at it and you kind of just take the small wins and recognize the small wins, it'll get there so much faster. Yes, I absolutely agree. Kristen, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It was great. We're definitely going to have you back on because I know you have a lot more to share. Yes, for sure. This is great. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview and I've found a lot of great insights, strategies, and information in what we discussed today. For more information, please visit the show notes below so you can get all the details, links, and recommendations that were discussed today. And if you like this podcast and what you've heard today, leave a review and subscribe to the show so you never miss when new episodes are out and you also help more people find this information. I'll be here again next week with a new episode. Until then, be well. Bye for now.